Take your Bibles, if you will, look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. Well, I'm going to do a little housekeeping while y'all do that. Y'all may have seen me mess with my cell phone a minute ago. I wasn't sending texts and all that kind of stuff. I felt the air conditioning kick on. And I thought, if I don't get this air conditioner turned off, every woman in this building is going to be mad at me. Uh-huh. So, Brother Bill, would you get me some preaching fuel, if you don't mind? I'd appreciate it very much. Thank you, sir. I got to get to the text now. I want to preach on the subject, uh, and I'm not preaching a a topical message. I'm going to preach a textual message, but on the the main subject is going to be gratitude, Uh, especially this time of year. Gratitude is something we ought to be reminded of and familiar with, and having our thought processes. no doubt many of us are going to receive gifts. My Pastor Taylor and I both got a nice gift yesterday. It's, it's a Omaha steak box. And I can't wait to start throwing that stuff out and eating it. I remember uh, we've had one in the past, uh, the apple tarts in their tartlets, whatever they call them. They are absolutely delicious. So I'm going to try to figure out a way for my wife not to get any. I'll just give her another Snickers bar. She's down to 30 pounds of Snickers at the house now, so we're we're trying to watch the Snickers stash real close. And I mean that literally. We have 30 pounds of Snickers bars. What's the lowest you'll let it go to? The uh, Snickers bar? When we get down to the second bucket, I have to buy more. (laughs) But I bought four extra bags here the other day just to make sure. Those big Sam's bags of Snickers bars. If you ever want to make my wife happy, fun size Snickers. That's what she loves. And I look like I eat 35 pounds of Snickers bars every year and eat ice cream every night, but I don't do either one of those. She does. And there ought to be a law, you know, about those kinds of things, but... Evidently, I can inhale the smell of Snickers bars and accumulate calories by so doing. All right, the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 17. We'll pick up our reading with verse number 11. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And you'll remember Samaria is not a place where a Jew normally would want to be. And as he entered into a certain village... There met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice 
glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? They are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Rise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Let's pray. My Father, it's hard for us to imagine ourselves in this scenario we read in the Scriptures. We drive almost everywhere we go. We really don't interact with a, a wide swath of our population. And Father, much less any of us know one leper, much less ten. And yet this is a real event that took place in the history of mankind, in the history of the ministry of Christ. Ten men who were lepers, cursed, cast out, cut off, with a loathsome disease. You'd help us to cut off the world in which we live, the there's so much materialism here. And try to imagine ourselves in a poor village, dusty, walking, and hearing ten men who we knew we couldn't be around cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Speak, I pray through thy word to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Forgiveness and by the way, Jesus is the one who forgives. There is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Psalm 130 and verse 4. And Remember Jesus forgave a... The, the, remember the fellow was let down a four. They tore the roof off the house and let him down. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And the, and the men, the religious leaders there said, Who is this that can forgive sins? Only God can do that. And Jesus asked him, I, I love the question that he asked him. Well, which is easier for you to heal the fellow, to say, tell him he's healed, or to forgive him his sins? Which one can you do? I mean, that's really what he was saying when he asked that question. And, of course, they had no answer for that at all. And he told him to take up his bed and, and, and to go. What a gracious God we serve who's willing to forgive us. Uh, every last one of us needs forgiveness, whether we think we do or not. Uh, I can't remember the name of the song. Weegee and I were listening to an oldie station the other day. and might have been the Spirit in the Sky or whatever it was, something. Anyway, the guy said, I've never been a sinner. I never sinned. I got a friend in Jesus. And I'm thinking, no, you don't have a friend in Jesus if you think you're not a sinner. That's for sure. I played a little clip of a video from my Sunday school class this morning of an ultra-liberal preacher who said that he didn't need to believe the myths in the Bible, like walking on water and talking to snakes and arguing with donkeys. He said, I don't need that. I need to know how important I am and how important you are. Just ran it on. And I'm thinking, here's a man that has no concept of forgiveness. None whatsoever. Oh, man, forgiveness is wonderful. It's, so, it's wonderful. You say, well, I, I fear that I've committed the unpardonable sin. If you're interested in being forgiven, you haven't committed the unpardonable sin. I can promise you that. That's, you know, the devil's used that to trap many a person. But forgiveness puts us in debt to God. 
and the debt that we owe him can at least be partially paid. Uh, part of what we ought to be doing is the praise that we give him. Part of that praise was done a while ago when you picked up your hymn book and opened it up and began to sing. And if you're not singing during the singing service, then you're not praising. You say, but you don't know my voice. That argument's already been tried. Moses tried it about 4,500 years ago. And God said, who gave you the voice that you have? And God said, I did. So use your voice. And so I encourage you. You say, well, I can't sing in the choir. Well, you can sing where you are. And congregational singing, now this is going to scare you. Choir singing, you're supposed to sing to the level of the two people on either side of you so you don't drown them out. But congregational singing is you're supposed to sing loud enough you don't hear the person next to you. That way if they're off key, you'll never know it. And if you're off key, they're going to know it. But it's all right. The Lord gave you your voice. Hey, as a parent... And, you know, we were thinking about Christmas time, birthdays, those kinds of things. As a parent, it's always easier to do for the kids when they've been thankful for past blessings. It's hard to want to do for somebody, no matter how much you love them, if they have zero gratitude. They act like you owe them everything. Uh, I remember uh, Dylan said to my daughter, said she was talking to him about maybe helping out with some bills and stuff around the house. He said, wow, you don't want to do that. And what kind of parents make their kids pay bills? Well, my answer to that is the kind of parents who want their children to understand life's not free. That, that's kind of, and plus, my son, bless his heart, I'm glad he's married and out on his own and got kids so he can deal with this. But when my son went to the shower, back in those days I think we had electric uh, water heater, he would stay till there was no hot water. He took a two-liter Dr. Pepper with him and either a box of Little Debbie cakes or something else. And when he came out of the shower, there's no hot water, there's no Dr. Pepper, and there's no cookies left. He's, he's devoured them all. I'm thinking, how do you do that in the shower? Our water bill dropped 30% when he moved out, maybe more. But as a parent, it's easier to do for your kids when they've been thankful for what you have done in the past. Uh, here's a little quote by David Dixon. He wrote this in the late 1500s. Under no duty are we more dull and untoward than to the praise of God and thanksgiving unto Him. Neither is there any duty whereunto there's more need that we should be stirred up as this earnest exhortation doth impart and he wrote that about Psalm 107 in verse number 1. I'll flip back there quickly and, and read that to you. Psalm 107 in verse number 1 if you want to look it up, but I'm, I am there. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Now, our chapter that we were in in the, in the New Testament here in uh, Luke chapter 17, there are five major sections in this chapter. The first one is verses 1 through 5, and that's forgiveness for an offending brother. Then said he unto the disciples, it's impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he cast into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. 
And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. No wonder the apostle said, Lord, increase our faith. I mean, if somebody keeps sinning against you and sinning against you, it's tough. It's tough. And, and yet we see that our God is that forgiving towards us. You sinned probably some today. I, I don't think we go any 24-hour periods in our life without any kind of sin at all. I would hope maybe so, but I, I don't think I can prove it from Scripture. What I find is that sometimes we sin not even knowing we're sinning. We Maybe an offhand statement to someone that we don't mean it to hurt, but it cuts and it offends them. We didn't mean it that way, but that's the way it came out. You know, kids can be very cruel. Amen. I had two children. I got a bunch of grandbabies. Kids can be very cruel. They'll say stuff. They'll look at somebody and say, your ears are too big. Or if they maybe got a dental issue, your teeth look funny. Our youngest is high-functioning autistic. You don't ever know what he's going to say. He doesn't have much of a filter at all. My mother's laying there in bed, hadn't been out of bed in two years. And I said, he was getting ready to leave. I said, I give you, give Nana a hug. And he walks over and he d- did like this and he did like that. And put his hands on his hips. Aren't you too old for hugs? <laughs> I'm glad mama didn't hear well. So kids can sometimes be not meaning to be cruel, but they are. And those offenses are still real offenses they hurt. In verses 6 through 10, we, we learn lessons about humility. If you had faith in grains of mustard seed, you can say this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the roots, and be thou planted in the sea, it should obey thee. But which of you having a servant, and he goes on and talks about what we're supposed to do. And when we've done the will of God, we're not supposed to expect some applause, we're just supposed to expect that, hey, you did what you're supposed to, I fulfilled my duty. I love football, college football, but in the college game, they've even got to where they celebrate now when they score a touchdown. You know what Walter Payton did when he scored a touchdown? He gave the ball to the referee, went and sat down. I can't remember who it was. Some coach told the team, said, look, fellas, when you score a touchdown, act like you've been there before. You know, don't go ape wild in there, but that's what they do. And, and uh, there was a time when, hey, that's what I'm supposed to do. But now if they tackle somebody, they get out and jump around, practice dances, choreography. I want to watch football. I don't want to watch men dance like ballerinas. <laughs> humility. A little humility goes a long way. Gratitude in verses 11 through 19, and we'll come back to that. Spiritual nature of the kingdom of God, picking up in verse number 20. And he said, and he, when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. So the spiritual nature of the kingdom of God, down through verse 25. And then verses 26 through 37, the stain of sin and its judgment. You know what jumps out at me? Look at verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. We don't have time to go through that whole story, but what a story it is. Judgment's coming. 
God sent two angels to rescue Lot and his family. They couldn't get their sons-in-law to come out with them. And so they had two girls, Lot's wife and, and Lot. And she loved Sodom and Gomorrah so much she just couldn't stand that it. it was going to be destroyed. And she turned around to look and turned into a pillar of salt. You know, the Bible says because sin's not judged speedily, swiftly. Some folks think God's not going to judge sin. You just wait. You just wait. God is going to even the scales. You can bank on that. Well, let's get back to our section of Scripture, verse 11 through uh, 19. The setting that we have here. Jesus travels almost exclusively by foot. Very, very few times that we read about him being on a donkey when he did the triumphal entries on one I can remember right offhand. And so he traveled almost exclusively by foot, and he didn't travel all that far from Jerusalem. Not very far distance at all. Uh, if we walk today, we're walking because we want exercise. Not many of us say, we won't walk down the store and buy some groceries. We get in the car and say, I'm going to the grocery store, be back. Uh, but in this society, in this day, travel was mainly by foot. I imagine they got dusty, don't you? Remember they would wash each other's feet when you come in someone's home, you'd wash feet. Samaria was an area that was avoided by Orthodox Jews. The, the Assyrians had carried away the ten northern tribes into captivity before the two southern tribes went. And in that situation, they took the Jewish people away, not all of them, but the bulk of them, moved them someplace else, brought other people in, and so they intermarried. And to the, to the Jews in the two southern tribes, they looked down and despised the Samaritans. Uh, they really looked at them as dogs. Now, Jesus looks at them as Gentiles. We'll see that in a moment. But they were a mixed people. Uh, Jews intermarried with a variety of Gentiles, and they were considered defiled and polluted. Jesus considered them as Gentiles. Look in verse number 18. We'll jump ahead for just a second. They are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And this stranger, that meant someone of another nation. Not, it wasn't just like he was somebody I never met, or somebody from a different city, but it's someone from a different nation. It's the same word that is used in Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 7, when it talks about another gospel which is not another. And in other words, it's the, the word alas, it's, it's not the same as. And so it's a, he was a stranger. There's ten lepers. Now to the best of my memory, and, and I'm not, certainly not perfect at that, I don't remember any other time when Jesus healed a, a large number of people. Now he healed people individually, one here, one there, but I don't remember reading about 50 getting healed or 100 getting healed. I just remember these ten in, at one time who are going to be healed. They are... Uh, a mixed group. We don't know exactly what their nationality was. We just know the, the one. Uh, they were cast out from society. Look in the book of Leviticus for just a minute. Leviticus chapter 13. Leviticus 13 and 14 is the law of leprosy uh, in the Mosaic law. It's kind of hard reading, but it, it bears some real good study. There's some rich stuff in there if you'll take a little time. But in Leviticus chapter 13 and verse 45, 
And the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent, and his head bare, and he shall put a covering upon his upper lip, and shall cry, Unclean, unclean. All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled, he is unclean, he shall dwell alone. Without the camp shall be his habitation. So notice he's got to be, do this unclean thing. So here he is, he's walking, and as he would walk, anytime he would be where other people were, he'd cry, unclean, unclean. He, his breath was considered corrupt, and he wasn't supposed to breathe on people. He had a bad disease. Hansen's disease is the name we've hung on it, but it's leprosy. Uh, they tell me, by the way, these armadillos we have around here carry uh, a form of leprosy. And so this, this man who was a leper, whether it was in his arm or his head, wherever it might be in his body, and he's walking along and he had to protect others. Unclean, unclean. Can you imagine having to spend your life announcing, I'm sick. I have a horrendous disease. You don't want to be around me. Stay away from me. That's what he's saying. How hard would that be to live life like that? Cast out from society. Cut off from the fellowship of friends and family. You know, if you're sick and something's wrong with you, the world may give up on you, but your family won't. But even in this situation, you couldn't be around your family. The disease was infectious. Leprosy is a pretty horrendous disease, by the way, left untreated. Well, there are ten lepers that we read about here in our text of Scripture. And he, Jesus is going through Samaria. He enters a city. There's ten, or a certain village. And there were ten men that were lepers which stood afar off. They knew that they couldn't get into town. They knew they were not allowed. They could be around each other. What are they going to do? They've already got the disease. Usually they would dwell in a place where everybody who had the disease would, would be in a small area. And when the Bible says all our righteousness is as filthy rags, they would have a pole in the center of their little uh, community there, and they would hang rags on it, and, and the lepers would come and, and wipe their sores on those rags to try to get some relief and to clean themselves up. And so when the Bible says all our righteousness is as filthy rags, that's the rags he's referring to. But that puts our works on a low level, doesn't it? You're not going to earn your way into heaven if the best you can do is like a filthy rag that's got the corruption that's been wiped from sores on it. So our works are not worth anything. But they stand afar off. You know, it, it's pretty obvious that they felt their condition. They, they knew by experience their deplorable state. They lost their sense of touch. A lot of lepers, uh, their nose, the cartilage in their nose will go away, and so they won't have a, a, a nose that looks like ours, ears, uh, their fingers, would, they, they've become numb, and so any damage they did to their fingers they wouldn't feel. Uh, in, in biblical times and in India and in not too distant times uh, back, rats would chew off the ends of their fingers and toes and, and they didn't feel it because they had no, no sense of feeling. It had been destroyed uh, by that disease. Can we stop there for just a moment and get a spiritual lesson? Sin will deaden you. 
It'll make you numb to things. First of all, it'll make you numb to God. But secondly, it'll get to where that, well, I did this sin, so the next one down, is that's not too bad. Then the next one, that's not too bad. And pretty soon you're doing stuff that you'd never dreamed of. Why? Because it deadens and dulls us. We need to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. Listen, if the Spirit of God rebukes you when you do something, don't get mad. Be thankful that you're in tune enough to hear from heaven. Amen? And so you can get right with the Lord. Confess it. So they lost their sense of touch, and they had this deterioration of their facial features. To, I mean, they were just eaten up with a horrible disease. But you know what? They found words to express their feelings, their need. The Bible says there's ten of them. At least one of them's a Samaritan. And what did they do? They cry out, and they say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Evidently, they got their voices together with that one need that they had, and they, they cried out. I'm reminded of that text of Scripture in Mark chapter 9. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. The man wanted his child delivered from demon possession. So these, these men, the, these ten lepers, found words to express their feelings. There are no magic words that will get you to, to God. But what's in your heart will. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth. That is the word of faith which we preach. What do you have to say in order to be saved? Well, we can give you an outline of good things to say. But fact of the matter is, if you're calling to God out of the sincerity of your heart, you don't have to use some pre-prepared speech in order to be converted. For me, I, I, you know, I've, we've used the Romans road to lead people to Christ. And, you know, you say, God be merciful to me, a sinner. But for me, in my personal experience, and, and my, don't measure yourself by my experience. For me, it was just like, Lord, I tried everything else. I, I want the real thing. I want what you've got. Now, that's not very theologically pure and, and honed down and, and refined. <laughs> But it worked, amen. God knew what I needed, and He knew what I was asking for, and I got converted. So these men found some way, perhaps together they've been talking, and they said, hey, if we can all say the same thing, we, our voices will carry, and he'll, he'll hear us. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They fervently cried. I don't think they mumbled. They must not have been Baptist. They didn't mumble. They didn't, didn't low level say something. They fervently cried. Can we use the word they prayed for relief? By the way, that's a definition of real prayer. When you get fervent needing some real relief from God. When you begin to call on Him. Those who feel no deep need will not be likely to engage in earnest prayer. You don't have any sense of, of what your needs are. They lifted up their voice. They're all equally needy. Every last one of them had exactly the same need. All of us today have the same need. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
Every last one of us had exactly the same need. We needed Christ to be our Savior. We needed to be converted, saved, born again. There's a lot of biblical terms we can use. Made a new creature in Christ. They lifted up their voices. They're, they're, they had one voice formed by ten tongues, but it was just one tune. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus is the Master, by the way. He's the Master of the seas, the Master of the sun, He's the Master of the moon. Hey, by, without Him was not anything made that was made. Neither is there any other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. They were companions in suffering and now they're companions in prayer. I like corporate prayer. When I was at, in Bible college at Tabernacle, I'd never been around this before, but on Wednesday nights they'd call for prayer and, and there'd be maybe a thousand people there, sometimes a little more. And there would be dozens, if not hundreds of people up front at the altar. And they all prayed at the same time, out loud. Somebody said, well, that'll get everybody confused. Well, who's it going to confuse? Sure not going to confuse God. Stop and think there's 8 billion plus people on the face of the earth right now, and at least 3 or 4 billion of us are making racket. And if you stopped to pray right now, God would hear you out of the midst of all that sound. Matter of fact, Psalm 40, when he said he, he inclined his ear unto me and heard me in that horrible pit, Psalm 40, the, the word horrible there includes the idea of the noise that goes along with it. Oh, how we need to call upon Him, cry out to Him. Prayer should be strong and earnest. When the disease is great, especially then, sin is the worst of all leprosies. It separates us from society, it separates us from friends and family, but worst of all, it separates us from God. Sin's an awful thing. Well, the next thing we see in our text of Scripture, they cry out. And the Bible says, and when he saw them, verse 14. Yeah, amen, Brother Jeff. I'm glad he saw me too. On a Monday morning in October 1974, not knowing how to get saved, there wasn't anybody around to point me to Christ. I'd been reading the Bible and knew I wasn't saved. I called out to God. And me and the Holy Ghost were enough. Got saved. I struggled some with assurance of salvation after that. But I've never been the same since that day. And when he saw them, that includes the idea of he's, he's listening. They're crying out and he turns and he, and he sees them. Can I read you a few verses? Over in the book of Psalms. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and we'll look up. Psalm 17. Come on, pages, turn. There we go. 
Hear the right, O Lord, attend unto my cry. Give ear unto my prayer that goeth not out of feigned lips. In other words, I'm telling the truth. I'm, I'm in dire need. Psalm 39, verse 12. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear unto my cry. Hold not thy peace at my tears. For I'm a stranger with thee and a sojourner as all my fathers were. Oh, spare me that I may recover strength before I go hence and be no more. Then there's Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and, and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Hey, I went from listening to Jimi Hendrix and the Moody Blues to listening to the inspirations and just good old church music, hearing good old hymns sung. I left behind that, the worldly stuff and got hooked up with God. I, I'm glad He saw me. I'm glad He didn't just look at me and go by. He didn't pass by. He saw me and He did something for me. And that something is salvation. He, in this text of Scripture, He didn't lay hands on anybody. You read in different places. Remember, He put His fingers in a guy's ears and spit and did different things with clay for another fellow. Just different things that He did. Here, he just said, okay, go see the priest and let them know you've been cleansed. All he had to do was speak the word. God didn't create Play-Doh and start forming worlds out of it. When there wasn't any universe, there weren't any angels at all, it's just God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit and His triune councils way back before earth and universe were, God just said, let there be, and there was. There's power in the Word of God. He didn't have to lay hands on them. They just healed them because He said so. And the Bible says, as they went. Look at verse 14. And when He saw them, He said to them, Go show yourselves unto the priest, which was normal under the Mosaic law. And it came to pass that as they, as they went, they were cleansed lends itself to the saying if they had just stayed put, they wouldn't have been. But they showed faith. They believed what, what Jesus had said to them, so they are responding to that. But only one turns back to give praise. Sadly, we are more prone to ask for what we want than to give thanks for what we've gotten. That's, our society is very materialistic. You just wait and see if you've bought tons and tons of toys for your kids. Watch them when they take the toys out and start playing with the boxes. Somewhere along the line, you've got to wake up and say, you know what? Kids don't need all this stuff we're getting them. They need us. J.C. Ryle, an old Anglican preacher, died in the year 1900, said this. The widespread thanklessness of Christians is the disgrace of our day. That's a shocking statement, considering it was well over 100 years ago. Well, we have the commands of Christ. He said, go show yourselves. At His word, they respond, and they responded as those who were already healed. They believed it, and off they move. 
Can I say this? The highest reason for believing God is that He's sovereign over everything. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. They got leprosy. They can't be touched. There's no medication for it. All these things going on. And Jesus said, all right, just go show yourself to the priest. And the reason they would do that, if you read Leviticus 13 and 14, the, the priest would look them over and pronounce them clean. That's the idea that would be going on. So probably some of this, these ten are Jews, maybe nine of them. We don't really know because we only know about, about the one. But he said, show yourselves. When we get to verse 15, the Bible just says, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice, glorified God. That's not all he did. And fell down on his face at his feet. There's some distance when he's calling out, Lord, or Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. There's some distance involved there. We don't know how much it is. But he couldn't come within the, the confines of the village. They had to stay out. So maybe a hundred yards, a couple of hundred yards. We don't really know. But they start walking away, and that one Samaritan says, Woo! I'm healed. And instead of keeping going like the other nine did, see, he didn't have all the Jewish baggage, you know, about the priest and all that stuff. And I'm not saying that he didn't eventually go, but he didn't have as much reliance on that as maybe the others did. And he stopped and turned around and said, Thank you. No, that's not what he did. Loud voice. I think this guy was the first Baptist in Scripture. He turned around and with a loud voice glorified God. Somehow or another, we've gotten to a place where we think in church that if somebody makes a loud noise, that it's a negative. And I guess it could be if I'm preaching and your cell phone goes off and it play some hit song, that would be bad. But if God's doing something in your heart, it's all right to say, Amen. Hallelujah. It's all right to say it low as well, but there's nothing wrong with saying it out loud either. This one leper, when he saw that he was healed, he stopped. He didn't immediately go to the priest. He turns back and with a loud voice. And my guess is the Bible knows what a loud voice is. He glorified God. Now, what he, in my mind, this is what I see. He's turned around and he takes a running spell. He's healed. He can go in the city now. He can get around people. But he wasn't hunting anybody other than Jesus. And on his way, is he shouting and praising God, maybe jumping and leaping, as we read about one fellow in the book of Acts? When he gets to where Jesus is, he just falls on his face, holds on to his feet, and just gives him thanks. All he had was a corrupt religious background. The Samaritan religion was awful. But he fell in with a crowd. They said, we got a problem and the only hope we got is God. Oh, how I wished our politicians would hear that. How I wished our 
educational officials would hear that. Our hope is not more money. We spend lots and lots of money on children trying to get them educated. And we're not willing to teach them anything in some schools. I thank God for good ones. And I'm, I'm not saying we ought to abandon the public school system. But we got some real serious issues in our institutions of higher learning. It's all right to call for the eradication of the Jews. Got that little postage stamp piece of land there surrounded by all those Muslim countries. I hate the Jews. It's wrong. What's the answer for that, Jesus? Hey, listen. If you hate the Jews, then you hate my Savior. You know, the Ku Klux Klan hated Jewish people, hated black folks, hated anybody. I guess it wasn't white. I, I am not white. I am putty pink. White. White. If I'm this color, I'm dead. Bury me. This Samaritan, he fell at the Lord's feet. I'm, I know another person that fell at the Lord's feet. She was in the garden. And the body of Christ was gone. And she said, there were two angels in there, and she wasn't interested in those angels at all. I love that. She looks in and said, where is he? Here's a little sound behind her, and she turns around and supposes the man standing behind her is the gardener. She's sobbing and weeping so much. She said, oh, if you'll just tell me where you put his body, I'll take care of him. Jesus said one word. He called her name. And she immediately fell at his feet and would have grabbed his feet, but he said, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father and your Father. But the next time he showed up, he said, Go ahead and touch me. I'm not a spirit. I, I have flesh and bone. Why did or why do so few people give continual praise? Look in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 15, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. What's that next word? Continually. Last time I checked, that meant all the time. Continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now, I believe in, in private prayer, silent prayer, but that's not the majority of prayer in the Bible. Most every prayer in the Bible, with very few exceptions, are out loud. We have been beaten over the head so much about keeping our religion inside the church house and not taking it with us that we've forgotten the liberty that the Lord's given us. When you go to a restaurant and you, they put your, your food in front of you, you don't have to just bow your head and not do anything out loud. Now, I don't, I don't recommend that you jump up and go, Oh, God of heaven and earth! Unless you think the food's bad and trying to pray it better. But we can say, Thank you, Lord, for this good food. Use it to nourish our bodies and bless our time of fellowship together as we sit around the table. He's worthy.
We'll never praise him too much. We can't praise him too little, but we won't ever praise him too much. Let me read a couple of verses to you. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. Sing unto God. Sing praises to His name. Extol Him that rideth upon the heavens by His name, Yah. And rejoice before Him. You know what the Bible says? In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every fact be established. Well, let's get another fact. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. In thy name shall they rejoice all the day, and in thy righteousness shall they be exalted. Psalm 100, shalt thou be exalted. Psalm 104. Psalm 104, verse 33. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will pray, sing praise to my God while I have my being. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. You know, when Joshua and Moses had been up on the mountain, and they're coming back to the camp, Joshua says, I think I hear the sounds of battle. And Moses said, no, that's singing and dancing. And it was pagan singing and dancing. He picked it up. We ought to be able to discern the joyful sound. In the Garden of Eden, all we knew was good, period, until Adam became a sinner. When we get to Hebrews chapter number 5, the Bible talks about us having our senses exercised to discern good and evil. We need to be able to pick out the difference between the two and make sure that we're on the right side of issues. Luke chapter 7 and verse 47, to whom much is given, the same loveth, forgiven, the same loveth much. Remember, he's in the house of Simon. And there's a woman that was a sinner. She was probably a street prostitute. And he was, uh, Jesus was not accorded any of the normal courtesies of that day when he went into that home. But that woman poured ointment over his feet and began to wash his feet with her hairs and kiss his feet. And Simon said if he'd known what kind of sinner woman this was, he wouldn't let her touch her. I want to tell you, Jesus knows what kind of sinners we are. <laughs> and we can touch him. Amen. Let me give you a couple of practical thoughts and I'll be done. There's little thankfulness in the world because the bulk of men have no sense of sin. If we just knew where God found us. We could just wrap our heads around that and understand what he's delivered us from and what he's delivered us to. We're just going to live forever. We're just going to be in the presence of God for all eternity. We're just going to be in a place where the walls are made of jasper and the gates are made of pearl and the streets made of gold like pure glass. And the tree of life's going to be there and the river of life's going to be there. All the saved of all ages are going to be there. Hey, it's called common salvation. That doesn't sound too common to me. The Samaritan who returned was a stranger of another nation. 
I'm glad that our God does not pick one nation and say, this is it. He put in his word, whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. The first thoughts of the Samaritan are turned to his deliverer. He'd forgotten all in the sense of God's mercy and of his own unworthiness. In other words, nothing else mattered but him getting to the feet of Jesus and falling down there and worshiping. Then can I say one last thing to you? I've read the last chapter of the Bible. You know, the book of Revelation is the last book. And when you read in there, you're going to find out that in chapter number 19, hallelujah breaks out. There are four hallelujahs there in Revelation 19. And the Bible says it's going to be so loud, it's going to sound like the voice of many waters, like Niagara Falls. It said it's going to be so tremendous that it's going to sound like a thunderstorm rolling from one side of heaven to the other. We're going to be praising God for all eternity. I like it when I get to praise Him down here now. Sometimes my flesh gets in the way and I, I'm not as free as I'd like to be, but I like it when I'm free. And the Lord moves on our heart and our soul. I'm not trying to put our experience above the Word. But you get to reading your Bible or thinking about Bible truths and then all of a sudden you start putting that to your life. And I was like that Samaritan. I was cursed. I was cut off. I had no hope till Jesus saw me. Then I trusted him. Oh, blessed day. Let's bow our heads. No one's looking around. Might be we got someone here today that needs to trust him. How many of us could sitting right here, right now, slip our hand up and hold it for a moment or two and say, Preacher, I know that I'm saved. I got it settled. Would you slip your hand up and hold it good and high? Hold them just a moment. Thank you and put them down. Now, some didn't raise their hand. That's between you and the Lord. I'm not trying to intrude. But if you couldn't raise your hand because you don't know, We'd sure be glad to take a Bible and show you how to go to heaven from Atoka, Tennessee. We'd be glad to help you. Not trying to make you a member of our church. We're trying to get you to God. If the Lord adds you to our church, that's great. But we want you to be saved worse than anything else. May we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, use the message. Perhaps poorly structured, but Lord, what a truth. Nine went on, but one turned back. Help us to be of that percentage, Lord, that, that one that turns back and gives honor and glory to God and falls at the feet of our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother, let's sing.